0: So welcome to episode 15 of the Challengers podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach Miller, editor in chief at Tearsheet. Joining me is Josh Liggett. Say hey, Josh.
1: Hey, what's up? Josh Liggett, associate at our crowd.
0: And we're back. It's been a month and a half or two, huh?
1: Yeah, it's been a little bit. We've all been sheltering and doing our thing during COVID, but uh, trying to get everything together. But we've been uh, we've been watching. We, don't worry. We've been there for you, everybody. Don't worry.
0: And there's been a lot of action in, in the space. Um, We're going to stick with some of the major points that we think are are worth pointing out here. Uh, I think probably the biggest move in the entire challenger banking world is VARO, um, one of the first challenger banks in the U.S. It wasn't technically a bank um, and has been going through the uh, licensing, uh, national charter licensing process for, I think, close to five years. Uh, They're getting a charter. They got a charter.
1: Yeah. So first of all, you know, full disclosure, we actually, you know, we invested in VARO through through a fund. So we have exposure there. Um, but it's just a good win for FinTech. Like this is great. Like this is whether or not you like VARO or not, like it's really good to see a challenger bank come in and become a full fledged bank, get their charter, you know, get everything together. Like everyone should be celebrating this regardless of what your feelings are about specifically VARO.
0: Right. And I think it definitely benefits the consumer because we'll see some of the bigger challengers, more successful challengers, Uh, launch with their own licenses. And that means they'll be able to start taking deposits, offer better rates, um, get into lending, get into like sort of full service banking um, products.
1: This is sort of a question for you. Um, Do you think this really affects the end consumer? So when somebody is going to be looking at VARO, like I'm a person on the street and not, you know, a first adopter, or first mover, and I'm, you know, I have a JP Morgan account or I have a community bank account or whatever it is. Uh, and now I hear that Virobank has a charter. Do you think that's going to be a difference maker in terms of acquisition or is that just... No. Gonna, okay. <laughs> like I, I, don't,
0: <laughs> like, I don't think I would understand what that means if I'm a consumer. But what it will mean, I think, is that the products will get... They'll control more of the entire product lifecycle and the consumer lifecycle. And I think it'll mean the products become um, better, I think, and more in tune or attuned to um, individual users as opposed to using third-party uh, software. I think they'll just be able to get closer to the consumer, and and the products will evolve, and uh, their marketing will evolve better. And I think somebody might be aware with it, aware of the changes, but not be conscious of the fact that now they have a license. You're right. I don't think it really matters. Though you could say in a time of panic, like the like COVID, there is a flight to safety, and people want to know that I want to do banking in an FDIC you know institution. Challengers have that through their partner banks typically. So I, I actually don't I – don't, I don't think it will have an impact on that, Josh.
1: So you're saying we're still going to see red and green and orange credit cards for, for getting people to sign into – And into all banks. the
0: different medals you can think of, <laughs> yes. Yes. More it, it, cards. Yeah, Let it rain cards.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it's – I agree with you. It, it's the, the concept behind it was what why I asked is because that last thing you were saying, which is this rush to safety during COVID of, of – mm-hmm you know, which is the question that I think that which can lead into what we're going to be talking about next. But, um, you know, is our challenger banks going to flourish? Or are they going to be in trouble with COVID happens? Are people going to be more willing to adopt digital tools because they don't care about going to, you know, a bank anymore and having a relationship with an individual because they're just not leaving their house or the bank branch is closed? Uh, Or is it going to be that people are saying, listen, I want to go and make sure my money's safe in this really, really crazy time. So I'm going to go with you know, an incumbent, you know, so that's, I think that's a question, a theme that we're thinking about. And, you know, throughout this conversation and definitely big brain, you know, outside of this as well.
0: That's a, that's a good way to put it. And, and we've seen, we've seen some data. Um, uh, FinTech usage is up, you know, a lot, um, but so are incumbent bank apps. Um, and so like you, the, all the challengers continue to post record numbers in terms of of account numbers, account opening numbers. Um, but you and I know, and we've spoken about a lot on the show, it really matters whether those accounts are used or become primary accounts that still doesn't look to be the case. And, um, and in fact, there's some figures that showed there's been a slight shift in market share back towards incumbents during this time period. So, um, I, I think it's still something playing out. I think what's interesting, and there was a discussion about this on Forbes, um, Varro Maybe thinking about going into bank, I think this was Ron Shevlin said this, going into banking as a service uh, where they, then, they themselves become a platform because they have now have the charter and because there is a big demand for non-financial companies to come in and offer financial products, Varo might be a big, good player in that space if they can own the entire tech stack and now own the licensing as well.
1: Wouldn't that be hilarious? Like, like kind of meta. circle, right? Yeah. yeah so meta. <laughs>
0: Not to be confused meta. with MetaBank, the, the partner bank, but yes, it would be totally meta. And, and I think this alludes to the second point we are going to talk about. So um, we are seeing a divergence now uh, within challenger banking. It's not a rising tide floats all boats. Um, you know, if you, if you want to talk about contrasts, about fates of some of these companies, we saw Monzo a couple of weeks ago when they, they announced their financial results, um, they gave a, a, a warning about, you know, about their ability to be an going concern. They're facing existential uh, threats here. Um, while Starling, um, both these both of these are UK banks, uh, and started within a year of each other. Starling says, you know, there's a chance that they'll be break even in 2020 and profitable in 2021. Um, so it's not just that every challenger bank is going to succeed or everyone's going to die. Like the model matters here, and and we can talk about why the the models are different. You know, I think one of the differences is Monzo said, you know, this was the, they were part of that. You know, groundswell, of like let's just be a global bank, like the N26 is a revolute that said, we'll start from Europe and conquer the whole world. Monza was, was late in the game to do that, but they did their plan on coming to America. And Starling, you know, kind of said, you know, no, we're, we're pretty comfortable sticking around the UK. Um, I think that's a big difference, right? So, so, if you hear some of the behind the words or some of the words that the, the, the revolutes and N26 are saying, they're also scaling back their global ambitions right now. This is not a time that they're going out and expanding. This is a time they're like re-entrenching into existing markets.
1: I think that it's a big part of it is, and this is something that we said, I don't know how many times on the podcast, like we've been, and we've something we've been saying probably since like one of the first few episodes, which is you need a business model that's profitable. You're right. You right, you need economics, need to make money. You can't have these situations where you're just hemorrhaging money and hemorrh- or hemorrhaging, ca- you know, hemorrhaging uh, users. You're having crazy, crazy churn. Um, you know, as lo- if you're not spending money and, and doing all these promotions or whatever. And, you know, something that I see on a daily basis is our startups that are trying to keep that balance between, you know, global expansion and trying to get there as fast as possible versus having a little bit more sure footing in terms of taking that next step. Like, yeah, you need it. A- so there definitely needs to be a balance between two, two, you know, and I think the more successful ones are saying, listen, we're going to glow grow global but at the same time we need to have a, a super super solid foundation and that's really what those a rounds and and even you know maybe the b rounds but in the in those really that time you know if you skip that it it could lead to a big problem going forward and i think that's what we've seen with these challenger banks is that they just focused on expansion so much they got a ton of money you know they but they didn't fix those internal models that that were there from the beginning and shockingly when there's a downturn it all comes crumbling, crumbling down, which is not shocking to us because we've been talking about it for so long. Um, so I really think that that to me is it, it's not surprising and not surprising that the more stable ones are able to thrive in this eco- in this economy, as the versus the ones who are unstable are having a lot of issues.
0: I think that's an excellent point. And if if we look at, um, I think it comes back to classical banking, though. Even though we have all these new players, like still the the revenue models are still relatively similar, right? So So Starling did get their business accounts up and running. I think that's something like, you know, a few hundred thousand. I don't want to miss misspeak, Um, but Starling had introduced a premium type of uh, business account early. Uh, Monzo still hasn't figured it out. They launched one, they pulled it back. They're still trying to find the right model, find a differentiator in their, in their business account. But like you got to bring in revenue. So whether that's fees on a bank account or whether that's a subscription on the bank account, like it matters. And so um, you know, Monzo focused on global expansion ahead of like real good fundamentals. And, um, I, and as you said, I, I think you made an excellent point there. And so I think we're seeing now, maybe this is challenger banks 3.0. Um, I don't want to play around with, I And mean, you, you love these types of, 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 of names, but meaning, you know, we, we had the early stage, the simples, and then we had the next class. And now we're seeing some of the biggest ones, I think mature. Um, so, certainly in the u s the n 26s and Revoluts, the global brands that came into the u s and launched this year and last year um they have- they have all had changes at the top um we've interviewed some of them on on our podcast on the Tearsheet podcast monzo at 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 corporate um also has seen a, a change in 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 leadership and you know to me that also speaks to maybe the maturation or the or the or just you know the natural process that some of these these "Quote unquote," tech companies are now moving into sort of this this different phase of their growth. Well,
1: they need to. They need to grow up, and they need to get more real. And so, it's also probably just heads need to roll. I imagine yeah. that's part yeah, of probably. it. Just like yeah. we need someone to blame.
0: Fall guy. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, was that uh, that was a movie with Jim Carrey where the where he gets promoted right before a big fraud and gets like. Uh, and he's the fall guy, basically. So yeah, exactly. I forgot—I forgot what it was called, like Dick and Jane or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, shocking or not, sh- you know, like I said, shocking, but not shocking is that you know you're going to have restructuring and reorganizations, and this person's got the new secret sauce, or this person's going to run it for a little bit. You know, that's just—it's not—it's not great usually. You know, it's usually not the greatest sign in the world, but. You know, it's going to be, it's, again, it's a question of differentiation and going back to Starling, you know, like they, like looking at their, they've been have business accounts open for what, two years? Mm -hmm. Something like that. And like now all of a sudden people like, you know, everyone's like, Oh, July of 2020, let's, let's do business accounts. Like, okay. Like, well, you can't really change an oil taker in, you know, move it that quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. Now you're competing in someone else's turf and, and sort of a lot of these challenger banks that moved, cross border and you know, into different, you know, internationally they've had issues because they're not playing at their home turf and it's expansion and it's not easy and they have to spend a ton of money. And so yeah, the, when, when it doesn't work out, obviously the person charts gonna, you know, have to go find another job, which is not surprising.
0: You know I have my money on transferwise being the global challenger bank, right? You love transferwise. Well I just yeah. think they're sneaking in and no one's really talking about them. Like Obviously, everyone's talking about Amazon getting into banking, Goldman, and, you know, and the Apples and Facebooks and WhatsApps and all that. But, like, I just feel like they built a global system. They know how to make money. And, you know, they're slowly rolling out banking products. So, anyway, um, that's just an aside.
1: You could take them with your first pick. I'll take uh, ant financial with my second, <laughs> and I think I'll be very happy with with my pick with their with your $200 billion dollar. IPO. IPO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, think they're exactly. enough
0: zeros. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll I'll, take ant. Zeros. I'll take ants. i we'll Enjoy. Have a nice day. Okay.
0: Okay. You win. <laughs> well, do you
1: remember? Uh, do, you, do you remember that we wrote in, one of the first articles I wrote at Tearsheet was about Transferwise trying to take over the world, and we mm-hmm. like. I remember that you and I were discussing and you're like, do you really think they're doing this? And I was like, I think so. And we ended up actually <laughs> talking to them and, and like, you know, getting, when, when I interviewed them, they're like, yeah, we're basically trying to do that, you know? Yeah. And it was like, oh, cool. So we have like, you know, back in 2017 or 2016, we actually have like an article that's like, yeah, we, the transfer is saying, yeah, this is what we're trying to do. And like you said, they're, they're sneaking their way into it, but, uh, but, they're, but they're also working with banks, which is interesting. They're doing yeah. both together. It's yeah,
0: really that's true. That's awesome. So one thing I want to touch upon, um, moving on, um, ungracefully to the next topic, um, some of the new players in the space. So in the, in the, since our last podcast, uh, we've seen cabbage, the, you know, the, the online business lender, uh, launch a bank account and, as well as QuickBooks. So into it's, you know, business accounting software package launched QuickBooks cash. Um, so both focusing on, on small business, um, very interesting offerings, I think, from and both coming at business banking from different perspectives, um, but two powerful offerings um, into it and being tied into the whole QuickBooks ecosystem and being on their software. And, you know, you could think about all the possibilities there about, you know, being able to forecast cash flows and and lending off of that and spending the money. You know, like there's, I don't know, it sounds, if I'm spending a lot of time in QuickBooks anyway, as a small business owner, like, I do have an affinity towards the brand. I, I I feel I'd be open to using QuickBooks Cash and Cabbage if I'm a small business and you know I'm I'm tapping credit because I need it to grow or need it to survive, like also very tied in, you know. And um, those are very to me both very smart products.
1: It could be that Intuit turns into like a dip in the toe for a lot of these traditional like small businesses that were usually not interested in something, you know, a digital offering or, or, you know, any sort of account like that, where they're like, Oh, Intuit's doing it. I trust them. Like you're saying, like I've used them a million times all the time, or I'm using them all the day, all, all day long. And they have all my data already. So sure. Why don't I try it and see what it's like. So it could be sort of like a entry, um, you know, gateway, gateway into, gateway drug into the digital banking space. Cabbage. I don't know. I mean, as of like, 20 hours ago cabbage might be bought for less than what their previous you know valuation was mm-hmm. um what, so, it was
0: 850 million by amex or something like yeah that? something
1: like that so who it's not nothing confirmed i mean pitchbooks is acting like it's a done deal at <laughs> least so when i looked when i searched it today it was like yeah it's done but uh who knows if it is or isn't and so it's gonna be interesting if they continue to offer that if the amex sale goes through and then if they continue to offer that if you know after amex uh buys them uh, and they're, and they're part of them. So uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, you know, who knows?
0: Um, and I guess, I guess the last thing, and we, we touched upon this before was um, sort of this interplay and I hate this sort of false dynamic false dichotomy that has set up sort of incumbents versus upstarts. Um, you know, we are seeing some data that I alluded to in the beginning of the show about, you know, upstarts maybe getting a little more market share uh, in this market as we said, maybe it's the, the flight to safety, um, people, people, you know, need to feel like their banking institution is going to last through this process. Um, maybe they got their, you know, the government assistance checks from their incumbent bank. Um, you know, so, so, you know, where do incumbents and upstarts kind of fit? Does COVID give an advantage to the incumbents because of this trust component? I know we're working on a story probably that's going to come out uh, this week on, on, on the same subject. You have any, anything to add to that conversation, Josh, or,
1: it's, it's so tough. It's so yeah. tough because I think, you know, you and I sit so like we're, we're on like the cutting edge of tech or at least I hope we are. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, we'd love to be using these challenger banks and digital banks and really getting to really the mainstream population, which is really the the biggest chunk of, of finance, which again, finance is so freaking big. It's just like stupid. You know, how big it is compared to other markets. Um, and I still think there's a in my if, in my mind. I still think there's a lack of trust on Main Street and in you know. I Think of it like my dad. You know, would my dad use something like this? In the, a Challenger Bank? Absolutely not. You know, he wants somebody to talk to, even on his digital brokerage account. You know, that he uses for for trading. Uh, you know, he wants to talk to somebody. The ability, at least, to, to talk to somebody—not a bot, not a—you know—wants to know that there's a person he can visit them if he wants to. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are still holding on to that theorem they may it could be also that people think that you know covid is, is a big deal right now and in maybe in 6 months it, it we get over it maybe in a year maybe in two years but eventually you know that this using the stupid word that everyone's saying that this isn't the new normal um so one i think really that's what's re- what's going to be the big factor is like what is the new what is norm, what is going to be the situation once the covid is resolved on whatever level that it can be resolved um
0: what I think that's an excellent point. Did, did, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you finish?
1: No, nah, I finished. It's all good. Rambling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you weren't rambling, but um, you know, maybe the cabbage deal, again, it's not banking. It's it's really digital lending. And they got, you know, many of the digital lenders really just turned off the spigot in March. Um, you know, maybe them breaking, you know, having a down round takes a little air out of some of the valuations in, in the whole space um, maybe we start to see some consolidation as well. You know, maybe somebody picks up an, a Monzo, you know, as a brand uh, or picks up, you know, makes, I, I don't know that this could be the beginning of that process.
1: It's, I think what we're talking about sort of like challenger 1.0, 2.0, 7, whatever point 0.0, we're at 3.5, I don't know, pie, challenger pie. <laughs> um, that's be my new thing. The word challenger pie. Uh, so uh, it, it, it's the the it's, and it's similar to. to to cryptocurrency, and stay with me on this for a second, Um, Mm. that Bitcoin started as this counterculture revolutionary concept, right? That's what it was like meant for like people that want to get off the grid and be, you know, totally, totally, uh, you know, independent from the financial system, you know, and all that stuff. And it's turned into an alternative asset where if you look at like what happened during, you know, the the S&P, like during that first dump of the S&P 500, you know, the cryptocurrency market basically had the same exit, followed the S&P. Like it was all, it didn't go, it wasn't inverted. It happens to be growing now, but so is the S&P. Like it's, it's turned into alternative asset because you have so much institutional money, because you have these large players that are now pouring money into the space. And it's sort of the, and this is something that, um, you know, Fred Wilson spoke about, I think there was a debate back in the day between Fred Wilson, not a debate, but a, like a video between Fred Wilson and one of the original, you know, chairman of R3 talking about like where Bitcoin is is going and who's running it and, and what it's what's it turned into, the institutions versus, you know, the old school, you know, hackers. And with challenger banks, like initially it was supposed to be, you know, the answer to 2008, right? That, that, in my mind, at least, it was supposed mm-hmm. to be like, you know, we're going to do create something different and, and now it's going to be, you know, a totally different thing and a totally revolutionary thing. But it could be that it just like 3.0 you know, 3.0 is a front end for a bank, you know, like uh, that they get that the, a bank comes in, buys them. And this is something that we worried about was like if a bank buys, were to buy N26 or Monzo, like what would happen to customers? Um, but maybe that's what it turns into. Uh, and it's sort of operated in, in conjunction, but independently um, with each other, sort of similar to having like the initial thoughts of the market being, sort of doused by reality and execution and just acceptance and timing of the overall uh, world. But it could, I, I, it's, it could be, but uh, you know, I, I could see that being an interesting place going forward.
0: I like that, Josh. I think that uh, that's a good ending for, for, for us on uh, episode 15 of the challenger podcast.
1: And excuse for me to talk about crypto. Cause you know, I'm you always just... <laughs> got to work that in everywhere. Right.
0: <laughs> anyway Josh thanks for joining us as always and thank you guys for listening
1: yeah thanks everyone thanks for having me Zach and always good to chat